you know, I have to say it. I am often in awe of the mindsets of people who have come through so much trauma to get themselves to where they are today. People who've often gone through various health crises and yet still somehow came through it. Very inspiring. And it's amazing how many inner resources are often found through going through a crisis and how those resources can change someone's lives forever. Now, my next guest is Gia Rowe, who wrote to me to thank me for the help and inspiration this podcast was providing for the various crises coming and going in her life. It truly, truly touched me. To say I was astonished at her story would be an understatement. And you know what? I thought I'm just going to have to invite her on to talk me through it. If you're someone who is struggling with your health or have trauma issues, then this interview could be very, very helpful. But do remember, hold it gently. We are all in different places. Comparison is often a thief of joy. If you can compare favorably and think about how this could inspire you, then please do that. Also, just as a warning, this interview does contain references to child abuse. So please, again, be gentle with that. And I want to give a warm welcome to GRO. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am very good. Lovely to have you here. Thank you. You emailed me telling me uh, what was going on with you and how much uh, this show has uh, helped in some way to what you're going through. And I thought, do you know what? I have to get Gia on to this show (laughs) to talk about your story and to delve into your mindset so that my listeners can be inspired for, uh, you know, 2024 to maybe think about (laughs) things a little differently because what you've got going on, what you're going through incredible you know and it's tough and I think it's a great conversation for us to have and so thank you so much for coming onto the show thank you no thank you for having me yeah so if you'd like to introduce yourself and let's just dive a little bit into your story okay so my name's Gia Um, I come from a place called Taranaki in the North Island of New Zealand Uh, My main journey in life has been grief. It's been a process of acceptance. It's been from six weeks, even before I was born with my twin sister. Um, Unfortunately, we have um, lost pretty much 90% of our family to a particular type of cancer. There's been a path and a journey of learning and acceptance. There's been anger. There's been abuse. There's been mental and physical anguish, and then there's been beauty that's come out of it. If I'd stayed in that grief and stayed in that negative pattern, um, I would not be here today at all. Absolutely not. I, I, it, it was yeah, yeah. It's, the it's, it's so much been going on. Yeah, it, I, mm. I, I mean, it's. Yeah. I think people listening to this would be like, "What the hell's been going on?" So let's start from near the beginning. Where would you like to start with this to give an idea of what's been happening for you? 
So um, my twin and I were born, um, we were actually six weeks premature, both expected not to live. And my twin was born with most of her organs on the outside of her body. They were covered in quite interesting tumours at that stage. And obviously technology wasn't as advanced as what it is now. So there was a lack of understanding. Her life expectancy was to be short. Um, fast forward in time, uh, I was an interesting child. I was brought up primarily by my grandparents because what I've learned now is that my mother wasn't entirely mentally well uh, in a sense of bad choice in men, shall we say. So there was um, abuse sexually towards myself as a young child that stemmed and morphed into behavioural patterns in my teenage years that I now realise um, was due to that factor, like dressing more of a tomboy, not wanting to be attractive to the opposite sex, um, staring clear of certain situations, but then also going into a, a deep, dark place. There was no joy. There was no excitement. I wasn't going to sports days. I didn't have the luxuries that other people did around me in a sense of love. I never heard that word I love you um, from my, my mother at all until her a uh, few weeks before her death. Uh, there's been a diagnosis for myself. I, I have a incurable bowel disease and have gone through a cancer battle myself. So I live life to the fullest. There, I have to say, when we fell pregnant with my son, um, my husband and I used to go to high school together and we at that stage weren't interested in each other at all. There was no interest in any way, shape or form in relationship and I'd gone overseas and I had come back and I saw him pushing a bike up a road with a flat tyre and said, oh, it's Joe, I haven't seen you in ages. Lo and behold, I never returned back to the UK. We ended up getting married and having a child. The day our child was born, um, September 2nd, 2004, uh, my grandfather, who brought me up, um, a very strong Yorkshireman, um, he died within 20 minutes of our son being born. That same day, my mother was diagnosed terminal bowel cancer, and I was diagnosed with cervical. So there was a plethora of frustration, anger, grief and sadness and I wasn't able to address that grief at all of my grandfather who was my absolute world. Um, I was focusing on bringing up this child and trying to establish a relationship with my mother which wasn't healthy already. We were trying to grasp at straws. I was trying to find something that I'd missed my entire childhood and I just couldn't find it. It wasn't there. So there was that not just grief that I was about to lose here, but grief that I never had that mother that um, many mm. people are blessed to have. So the turmoil of those those years was incredibly hard. And of course, my father was diagnosed as well. So he, he passed as well. Yeah. So much has been going on. It's, it's, I mean, people listening to this might be thinking, whoa, this is you know from yeah. your childhood and uh, sexual abuse to uh, obviously oh, sorry it starts with your sister and um her two the two much other things did, did, did you know did she live did she uh what was what she happened passed. with your sister she died she passed she died when she well, was a child this is i yes she did and the other thing is that i wasn't aware 
so there was a lot of my childhood that was it is still a blank for me there's a lot mm. that has been just there's a darkness there that I just can't seem to penetrate even with the hypnosis and everything there's little triggers there's little things that I'll be like oh okay yeah okay I remember this and it, it flows back especially the kindergarten that I was dropped off to if I walk past there today it just it gives me the most incredibly sad feeling of mm. just this desperation of loss because I do remember being dropped off there by my mother and she just walked away. There was no hug. There was no, there was no affection. There was no, this is your mm. first day at kindy. I remember that feeling of just, please don't leave me here. And I've had that feeling throughout most of my childhood with her. It's that sense of, please don't leave me here. And when she did, things happened. And with my sister, my finding out that of her death and her records has only been very recent. So hmm. it just by chance, I ended up working with a surgeon and I found that my mother's records were in that practice and it was all laid out in front of me. Yeah. How, how so was that to discover that? What, 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 yeah. So that was, a, what For, was that like? That was, I've been working in dentistry for, for nearly 20 years and I became incredibly unwell with my diet, with my with my bowel, and I was now down to 42 kg. I was starting intensive treatment. We mm. were doing surgery after surgery. We were chasing consistent growth all the time. Then I was diagnosed with stage one um, cancer of the nasal passage, and that was just getting out of control. I I wasn't feeling like I was living anymore. I was just simply existing. I stood back and we went and had surgery and I thought if this is it I'm um, I just I don't want to have treatment just let me go just let me go into that corner and die over there quietly just let me be mm -hmm. um a surgeon approached me and said I want you to work for me I know your parents I knew your parents um, I knew your mother and I want you to work with me because you've got uh, there's something about you and I did, I worked with her for two and a bit years and I happened to be downstairs in our archives looking for a very specific file and I opened up a diary and it was a 2004 diary and I opened it up and my mother's name was on one of the pages and my heart just sunk and I thought if she was here for an emergency treatment on that day there must be a file, I have to find this file and I found her paper file. And sure enough, what the cancer she had died of was, yes, it was bowel, but it was originally ovarian. And mm. I even dug deeper. I then reached out to the medical records at our local DHB. And sure enough, I found, a, found these files and there were unknowns to the tumours that my sister had. And there's also unknowns to how long my mother had been unwell for. She had hidden it for quite some time. So I found this paperwork trail, which also led me to discover there was a second family as well. There was more children. Um, yeah. So there was a discovery of a family we never knew we had. Yeah. So, and so you, you were discovered, you know, obviously you discovered your family history. And then mm -hmm. as you were growing up, there was a sexual abuse happening. And yeah. did you, yeah. what happened in regards to that? Did the, the person get caught? Did they, was there any form of reckoning? What, did you get support? What was happening for you? The hardest thing with abuse is it's that element of shame. And when it was mm. spoken about, it was extinguished very quickly. No, no, there was this 
no, it's just not, no, there was this complete wall and the shame. So I went back basically within, I felt disgusting. I felt like, what's the point? I do remember that feeling of helplessness. My, I, when I first started my journey, I found a podcast. I wasn't really into the podcast sort of scene and I found a specific podcast and it really resonated with me along with yours. And I, had, I wrote a survey and that survey asked a very specific question of going back in time. And I put myself back into the shoes of that young girl that was going through that abuse. And I then realized because I was blindfolded with a tea towel, I always had this um, horrible sensation picking up tea towels throughout my entire life. <laughs> I, there's just textures and feelings and, um, mm when the abuse took place I still remember the the impression that my face was making on the fabric where my where I was leaning and I remember the gate that clicked outside that stopped the abuse and all of a sudden he stopped and he ran away into another room and there was this feeling of okay it's over but it wasn't it still continued throughout the rest of my life just mentally it just continued but physically it stopped the, he unfortunately he's still I mean yeah there was no no pursuit in, in dealing with him at that stage my mother lived in complete and utter denial it wasn't until her passing two weeks before that she apologized to me and said yes she knew you have to remember as well I've learned that her behavior wasn't ideal as a mother figure and she did end up having another um, gentleman who she was with for about 15 years. He was also a child sex offender and charged. Mm. Um, and she brought him into our life. So there was such a lack of protection, a, a lack of security and a lack of mm. love. Yeah. It was a consistent cycle. It was just a cycle that yeah, just yeah. repeated itself. Mm. What do you think? How that implicated. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was asking, what do you think? helped you during that time what got you through that I my grandfather my grandparents I the love and the the nourishment and the the fun and excitement I had with my grandparents was oh, it was just it was precious and I knew in my heart I felt safe with them and the the honor that I had with my grandmother in the in the last few moments of her life I felt so incredibly honoured to be with her in those moments. It was a beautiful passing and it was very timely. And for my grandfather, it was devastating. That was a grief. I, it's, it's a moment that you just, there's this guttural, very primal feeling of just anguish when you lose somebody so incredibly close to you, mm -hmm. especially yeah. in a moment where you've just had it, you've delivered a baby and, you're so conflicted with emotions. How am I meant to feel? How do I feed this child? What do I do? And of course, the stress and the grief. My milk dried up. I couldn't breastfeed. I was unwell myself. My mother was going through the battle of her life. And I, I was trying to gain some form of connection with this woman to at least try and support her. But it just, yeah. <laughs> Mother Nature uh, played a um, an interesting role in her passing. It was a, a very... Um, shall we say, brutal uh, passing that lasted a couple of hours and we didn't have the mm. medical support on site initially for her, for hemorrhaging at home. Mm. 
Okay. When you say brutal, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. What happened? Um, I, I, so I I was working in surgery. We knew she was coming to the end of her life and um, our receptionist mm. came in. I was in theatre and she said, it's time. And I, I said, oh, time for? And she says, your mum's dying. The hospice is rung. So I'll drive you. And I said, no, no, it's fine. I'll drive myself. She says, no, I insist. I'll drive you. So we drove to my mother's home where she was in her hospital bed in the lounge. And she just said, and she was, I'm fine. I don't know what they're talking about. So they're just saying my feet are cold and medically trained. So I kind of knew what I was looking for. And she said she was hungry. So she had a lot of food. So she made an order. I want chips. I, I want a, a whiskey, oysters. I want this food. I want to eat. And so her wish was our command. We went, went and got her the food. Saturday, Sunday went. And then Monday, I went to work as normal, thinking that this will be fine another day got home and I don't know what your beliefs are but I got home and my husband had made nachos and I was sitting at the table and I went to lift the nacho and I just had this feeling and I just heard this you just go be with your mother and I didn't I, I don't even know where it came from it was just a feeling I got in the car I drove around to my mother's and I sat beside her hospital bed and I turned and looked at her and it was 10 past seven and I saw a bit of blood coming out of her nose. So I quickly got a tissue and then it, it all kicked off. Um, my mum had 11 blockages of her bowel. So the food that she had eaten on the couple of days before had mm-hmm. rotted and hadn't processed through her digestive system okay. and ruptured. So sh- she bled to death, um, which wow. uh, we rang the hospice and the nurse had, was, there was two nurses on call and they were very occupied. So we went for the first sort of 45 minutes of having, they just said get lots of buckets and towels. And I called my brother in and there was four of us. Um, Her partner and my oldest brother stayed in the corner. They weren't able to deal with it. And me and my other brother, um, we we took the brunt of it and just helped her through the, the last moments of her life. And then, of course, you're conflicted with this negative and a positive. You're like, okay, it's going to be over soon. But then you've got the negative thinking, is this karma? (laughs) Is this, what is this? There was this, I was conflicted with anger and sadness and grief and also a little bit of happiness that this is going to be over soon and she will no longer be suffering. But then there's that emotional turmoil underneath going, oh, is this what you, you you did this to yourself? This is, there was a lot of frustration and anger and grief all mixed up into a, a combo of, very very bad emotions which manifested greatly over the time when, when you say manifested what, did, yeah when, when well, you say manifested what I, came out for you as, as soon as mum passed there was a, a feeling of I need to leave I need to get out I need to leave this town I cannot possibly live here any longer the the man that she had been with for those years had actually married her at her bedside only a few weeks before and he had made alterations to her, to her will. So um, we basically got nothing. There was nothing. There was not even a hairbrush, no photos. I didn't want any, there was no monetary value to be had. It was more about our belongings. There was these trinkets in the home, but they were all gone. They were taken. And he left um, and he disappeared. For me, I wanted to leave. So we did. We sold the house, our possessions, and we moved to the South Island. And I just threw myself into study and work. And I became a workaholic. And I then just started to shut down 
the body just couldn't take it for too long. Five years of yeah. just constant, yeah. Uh, it was just barbaric. It was horrible. Yeah. Horrible yeah. life. What did you train in? What do you, you know, it'd be good for the listeners to understand what you do for a, a, a living now. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess. Um, dental, so I'm a dental nurse and I do nursing and therapy, but I also run the practice now as well, a practice I've been yeah. at for over 12 years but dentistry for 24. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So and, it's and been my, that's my primary job. Yeah. And you've been doing all of this whilst having mm-hmm. various cancer diagnoses. You've been uh, mm-hmm. still working. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. T- t- tell me about your, yeah, so tell me about your cancer journey. What's, where, where did it start on? Cause obviously there's, there's so much already, already has already gone on for you. And then mm-hmm. there's this, these diagnoses that began to appear. The body started to show signs that it was shutting down in, when I was down in the South Island. So 2007, mm. my mum died in December. Um, actually, I think it would be close to, it was two, yeah, it would have been 16 years ago today. Um, she, once that happened, I, I threw myself into that work. I started to notice twitching. I was twitching a lot and my hands, my face, I was having what we call BFS, benign vascular syndrome. So my eyes were twitching, my lips, my tongue, random muscles in the body. I've always been into alpine. I love being in the bush. So I figured, okay, I'll work hard. I'll play hard. So I worked a lot. I, I put everything into my work and then I put everything into being in the mountains to start running, to start training hard, to put the body through some form of, getting this energy and anger and frustration Mm. out. I found great solace in that. But then I also found that the body couldn't keep up. There was a limit and I definitely was starting to reach my limit, but I couldn't see it. Numerous doctor's appointments going, why am I twitching? I'm not sleeping well. My legs are restless. Um, Fatigue that I've not experienced before. And then I also started to notice there were problems with digestion and that at that stage I completely ignored. It wasn't until we moved back to New Plymouth, to Taranaki, that really things started to show. Food wasn't digesting for days. I was in a discomfort with distension of the stomach. And then eventually I started having a lot of internal bleeding, which I hid Mm. um, and pretended wasn't happening for about eight months, six to eight months. I kind of hoped I could just slip away and ignore it and just pretend it wasn't happening so denial came into play I started to form lesions in my nose Um, they were both inside and outside of my my nasal passage and within the mouth the scalp um, the hands this was just getting interesting and they took a sample eventually because there was this consistency again I left it for months and months and a local dermatologist took a sample and says you've got stage one cancer of the nasal passage I said well if it's in the nasal passage you might want to have a look what's going on in the rectum and sure enough there was multiple lesions in the rectum as well samples were taken and they monitor me every three months now um it is back my bloods um came back a few weeks ago and my readings were quite high so just literally emailed my specialist yesterday to to have a discussion so So did it um it's it's a consistent yeah hmm? yeah sorry did that so did the you know, the bowel cancer spread throughout the body. Is that what happened? Rectum. And then it was appearing as just in the yeah. rectum. No. Just in the rectum. But just you also in the had... rectum. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, there's no, we don't know. They're in the middle of doing um, genetic testing. We're doing some genetic testing processes at the moment because our son is also formed. Um, he's got a mass in his leg, um, which they don't want to do a punch biopsy yet until they know the nature of what's going on. He's had multiple nasal surgeries also. So he's, he's had five surgeries on his nose already for similar polyps and growth. Okay. So going by family history, we're kind of <laughs> going down the genetic route at the moment. But okay. yeah, Lynch's syndrome. So with everything that you've got going on, how do you cope? What is it that's getting you through this? What gets me through it, I think, is now more than ever, it's about acceptance. It's not putting up a fight. It's not, for me, it was really going into the nitty gritty of why this was happening to me. Is this my fault? I was blaming myself because I wasn't living a healthy lifestyle. I was basically self-sabotaging consistently all the time, training hard, pushing myself harder, wanting to run longer distances, training for ultras. Mm. I was throwing myself into a world of distraction. So I didn't have to deal with what was happening in here. Then hypnosis came into play. I met a, a, a hypnosis specialist who was from uh, from the UK, from Brighton, ironically. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah, so he's lived here for many years and his wife is a midwife here. I, I met with him out of desperation. One of the things that manifested for me since a very young age was night terrors. And night terrors are something I've had for as long as I can remember horrific experiences basically reliving consistently night after night after night in different ways and different events that have happened throughout my life especially as I went through into my early teens it was quite prevalent I then obviously grew up and I became into my 30s and then in my early 40s and they became very strong bad sleeps to just horrific nightmares, sweaty, clammy, have to get up and walk around, sort of shake it out, shake it out. I met the hypnotist and I needed him to walk me through my life. I needed him to straighten things out for me, basically mm. just help me walk through the stage by stage so I can put this into a compartment and learn what's affecting me the most. And so I was with him for two years. I, I did a lot of hypnosis, sometimes up to three times a week with him initially. Okay. And then we did maintenance after that. And then it sort of, it awakened me to the power up here and what it was capable of and what strength is held in that brain is quite something remarkable. And then of course, breath work came in, naturally came into this play and oh, it was the life-changing moment was yeah February of this year with breathwork. So, what did you what did you realize about your mind by having you know regular hypnosis and hypnotherapy taking you back through your history? What is it you began to know about yourself? I began to know that what I was far capable of, I I couldn't even imagine. I there was you. You put yourself into a world at the moment where your brain is, it's basically picking up so much foreign media from the moment you wake up to the time you go to sleep. We're constantly distracted with media. We're constantly distracted with unnecessary things. When you don't pick up that device and when you just sit with yourself and with your mind, 
one, it tells you a lot of lies and you've got to filter out those lies. Mm. And the other one is it tells you a lot of good as well. If you just sit with it long enough, you allow yourself to process through that negative. There will be a positive at the bottom of it. You've just got to get through that. And it's incredibly painful. When I look back now, I underestimated my capabilities completely for years up until the beginning of this year. This year has been the most transformative I've ever experienced from right. the brain, the power of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, sitting in stillness, which I'm a big fan of. Um, I love what you're just, mm-hmm. how you're describing it that, you know, you, it's almost like you're sifting, you know, through the mud and then suddenly mm-hmm. you find the gold. But it is, most people yeah, are too distracted to get there, aren't they? They, they, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't value that at all. They don't, they don't understand right. the value of getting to really know themselves. And it takes often a crisis mm. to mm. wake mm. them up and it, to that. It is. It is. And it's to me, it's energy. It's a lot of energy. And when you have a home and you've got electricity going into your home, you're at that location and the electricity goes out. It's either for one or two reasons. One, it's something internal or the other reason it's something external. There's been an accident or somebody's hit the transformer outside your house or a fuse is blown. Sometimes you need professional help to come in and fix that problem. And then mm. your power's back on again. You can keep going and you can select a room that you turn a light on or off or dim down or focus on. And then you've also got the fact that that energy has to go somewhere and it's got to be used. And if you don't move, if you do not move this vessel, this body that you've been so beautifully gifted then all of your energy is going to go up here. And when it goes mm. up here, it's not necessarily for all the right reasons. And you start then festering in negative self-doubt and going, oh, I wish I've done this, or I wish I could do that. Oh, I'll set that goal, but it's not realistic. You've got to break things down into small little tidbits because then you can achieve so much more. Not these big, big hopes. I want a Mercedes Benz. I want this beautiful, mm. lavish house. You don't need that. You've got it all here. This is your home. And take care of it. It's, it's It tells you so much from the moment you opened your eyes. The first time in the morning you open your eyes, just stop and listen to what it's telling you. Where are you feeling yourself today? Where is the pain mm. in your body? Where is the happiness in your body? and walk through it just walk through it face it accept it just and the emotions that come with it you really have to recognize your emotions on those days and Mm. accept those emotions and then investigate them you have to investigate them because if you don't you're just going to keep spinning your wheels consistently so from your i love your i love this by the way i think this is so powerful for people listening (laughs) so when you were discovering the power of your mind and looking mm. at what you were going through. I mean, it's, I often, mm. you know, I've interviewed so many people and it's interesting how a crisis wakes them up, mm. you know, creates mm. a transformation in their lives. And no one wants the, a crisis. Mm. No one wants these, uh, mm. these things to happen to them. But they often bring a lot of positive things into our lives that we would never have experienced mm-hmm. if we were living what we call an average life, you know, a life without these mm-hmm. things, uh, mm-hmm. creating such a mm. disturbance in the force, if you like. Um, mm. How do you see, if you know, from your own explorations, how do you look at, you know, your cancer diagnosis? How do you look at your past with your twin or sexual abuse? Is there, is there, a, what's, what's your mindset around those sorts of situations? <laughs> okay, so once upon a time, it was 
I looked at it with disgust. I looked at it with mm. um, anger and oppression and just feeling very uh, hard done by. Why? Why me? What, what did I do mm. wrong? Now I look at it with such a completely different mindset. So if I go back to February of this year and I was in a room of 20 people. Sorry, my cat trying to get it. Um, That's okay. I was in a room of about 20 <laughs> Um, I was in a room full of 20 people, all very like-minded, and I went with a friend of mine who is a kinesiologist, and she's got her doctorate. She's been, she's from Iran, and she's seen war, and she came to New Zealand as a refugee. And I have to say that her, her experiences in life, I thought, I mean, in comparison, what she's seen and experienced, I I was like far worse than what I've what I've ever gone through. You mm. you definitely need more grief work than I do. <laughs> um, but when we were all in that room and we were doing an hour of this intense grief work, we both reached out and we held each other's hands. And the person who was beside me on the left never met her before in my life. She travelled from Ireland to come to this course. She held my hand, and we had to be walked through our childhood. And we had to be walked through specific experiences in our life. We all felt the same thing. It didn't matter what the situation was in our life, what thing that had happened to us that we felt hard done by, we all felt the same emotions. And that was grief, sadness, loss. Just, it was all, we were all equal. Everybody in that room was equal. And when we all sat up, all this water from the tears had just streamed out of our ears down our face and we all just looked at each other and we all started laughing because we felt that we had overcome something. There was a hurdle that we've just overcome. Um, now I, I would not change any of this. I would not change the assaults. I would not change the disease. I would not change anything, nothing. If you'd asked me if there's anything you want to have taken away from your memory, what would you take? Nothing. Because without it, I wouldn't be able to recognize the patients that lay in my chair after a sexual assault. I wouldn't be able to recognize those emotions. I wouldn't be able to feel what they were going through. I also look at young girls going through this weird lifestyle of injecting their lips and false hanging these false eyelashes off their face and having this element of wanting to reach perfection. I want my teeth to be perfect. I want my skin to be a specific tone. I can't resonate with that because that's not important to me. That's not my priority in life is not to be perfect. It's just to, to walk through it with grace now and to accept absolutely everything that comes my way, whether I like it or not. That's I mean, just that how is it powerful. Is. It, it makes us grow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's the level of acceptance is um, astonishing. And, you know, obviously breathwork mm. has been a big part of that. What, you know, and, and obviously the hypnosis, but what else mm. has helped you reach that level of acceptance? Because it, it sounds painful and, you know, for you and to see your son struggling and obviously, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, your husband is in the picture with, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different mm-hmm. emotions and mm-hmm. dynamics and things what else has helped you reach this level of acceptance? The support of everybody around me. um, Mm. And the help really came from leaning into modern medicine and leaning into a level of spirituality as well, of 
having a belief that there's far there's something far greater than us and the, mm. the power of the mind is is just I could not have done this without going through trauma when I was going through the sick of it and I was even thinking it this morning um once upon a time I would get up in the morning I would put all my running kit on and I'd be out that door I'd be gone for an hour and a half two hours I would come home I was angry I was frustrated and this was only last year and the year before I made a room specifically in our home that was designated for me to grieve and to sit in it and to to, to fully embrace its rawness so I rolled out my yoga mat and I would come home from my run and I would lay on that mat and I would do some breath work and I would close my eyes and I would focus on the back of my eyelids I wouldn't when you close your eyes you see darkness but if you if you really look hard enough and long enough things start to appear you start mm -hmm. to use visualization you start to experience a a different world and then it comes it floods it literally in, it envelopes around your body and it was a guttural crying a frustration and focusing my attention on the people who I've lost the people who have have hurt me the people who have been beautiful to me and really sat in it and when I say sat in it it just permeates and you stand up and you feel so much lighter for it and you just keep doing it day after day until it gets easier and easier and easier and then you don't need to do it as much anymore occasionally you'll tap into it and go okay I'm being affected today why what is it about today that's affecting me and then just letting it go just letting it come in and then letting it go the whole wow. the longer you hold on to it the more your body just just really everything for me I feel it in my shoulders I find my shoulders come up towards my ears I can't sit straight I get a sore back the moment I let go it just starts to just it flows through it's acceptance wow. it's really about yeah. acceptance yeah yeah and so what advice would you give to anyone who is listening to this and thinking, oh, that sounds quite, uh, quite like quite a lot. Where do I start? Mm. Is there, is there resonating with, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Writing, journaling, yeah. really being honest with yourself and write like nobody will ever read it. Don't write it as if, oh, what if somebody finds this? What if something happens to me mm. today and somebody goes through my belongings and finds this? Don't hold any shame with what's happened with you. Just just accept that that has happened. Write it out and write it like nobody will ever see it and write it with passion. Use strong words and then keep doing it consistently day after day after day for a good few weeks and then revise and you look at, as you progress through that journaling, it gets a little bit lighter. Your words don't become so strong. They're not so powerful anymore. It's almost like you're mentally just letting things go. That was my first stepping stone into it just really going within. You notice your literacy levels change as you progress through your journaling and then walking through it, having to experience it, reliving and visualization. Visualization is a huge part. I use that with running. I will visualize my run before I run it. And I use that through hypnosis as well. I sit there, I can see exactly what route I'm going to go. I put myself in that mindset. I, I feel as though I've already been for my run before I've left. And then I get back and it's, it's good. It's all done. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I love the journaling side of things. Um, Dr. Andrew Huberman recently released an episode 
on the Huberman mm. podcast about the journaling, a new journaling protocol. I say new, whereas over 200 mm. peer reviewed studies. And it refers back to some of the things that you were saying, you know, write like no one's mm. looking. Um, there's mm. something about mm. writing the truth, regardless of, you know, mm. how we would like to see maybe a situation, but instead mm. writing about what really went on for us at that moment, you know, the jealousy, the anger, the mm. fear, anything that was coming mm. in or any, anything that was linked. Mm. And there seems to be quite a profound mm. change in the brain by, mm. di- by this journaling process. And you just do it for 15 mm. to 30 minutes mm. a day. Um, the advice to do it for four, you know, four days in a row. Um, but often people mm. will carry it on because they see the, the value, mm. the benefit from something that, mm. uh, you know, to begin to get a different perspective by just getting mm. it out. Um, so mm. I, 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 I know I'm with you. I think journaling is an incredible tool, but it's something that people mm. often struggle with uh, because they mm. go, I don't know what to write or I don't have time. Uh, all sorts of things begin to kick in. I think you have in. to put yourself somewhere where you feel safe. And that's why mm. I made a specific area in the house where I felt safe. I felt I was in privacy and I could do my my guttural cry. And I'll give mm. you an example. A couple of years ago, um, my son lost a friend unexpectedly to suicide. And it's the one person you would never experience. You never, never, ever could see this happening with him. And he was told by a school teacher at his work. So he, the school teacher went to my son's work before, because my son would work before school, and told him that he had lost this friend. And he rang me, and I was working. And he said, Mum, such and such has passed away. And I said, well, that can't be. We've, we've just got tickets for the next LAB concert. Do you guys have plans? This is You've got the wrong person. There's no way. And all of a sudden, I just felt this, awful feeling that my son was about to experience a grief that I I have never lost a friend to suicide. I have been at the very brink of suicide myself when I was at my lowest of points. And I went home that at lunchtime and I found him on the lounge floor and he had a towel in his arms and he was sobbing and he was sobbing in the way that I cried for my grandfather. It was a close friend. I held him in a way that a parent would hold your child when they're suffering. And I would so desperately want to take on that emotion so he wouldn't have to feel it, but he had to feel it. And my advice to him was, you have to feel this. You have to walk through this as hard as this is going to be. You cannot use this emotion and this event to as an excuse or a catalyst to drink excessive amounts of alcohol to do drugs to get in a vehicle and just do stupid things you can't use as an excuse for anything in your future this is going to be a gift in some way of learning how to cope with emotion and it will help you in the future with somebody else and it was months upon months of watching him suffer through the grief and the loss of a very young friend he was 17 he I just, it was, a, it was a grief that I've never heard from a person of that age. And then it made me think about myself, thinking, how did I react when I was assaulted? Or how did I react when I went through certain things in my life? I never had that comfort. I never had that envelopment of love mm. um, from my own mother and father. And I felt honored 
to be there for Maddie. It was it was a huge turning point for me as a mother to go, okay, I can do this. Yeah. This is okay, yeah, and he's going to pull through. We had we had another family member die last week, and the funeral was very quick within two days. I've got a niece and nephew. She's um, thirteen, and my nephew's uh, fifteen. And my nephew came up to me and he just hugged me and he was sobbing. It was his grandfather and he was sobbing. And he, I just said to him again, I said, you need to feel this. You need to sit in it. You need to really, really experience this and, and you'll get through it. And it will keep coming in waves for years and it will make you do different things in life. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we all gonna, we all will face grief and unless we deal with it in a mm. healthy way, it can really impact mm. us uh for years i i mm. you know um i grew up with some friends and they uh lost their parents and they didn't get any help they didn't they didn't get any help with their mm. the grief of the loss of their parents and it impacted them and it still impacted them to this very day they never quite got over it they never got the help and it was mm. you know it was just it wasn't there for them and it was such a shame one of the things I did, I do recommend people doing, and I found really worked for me. It's if you don't have that imaginative mind enough to to sit in visualization, and you haven't learned the skill of really being in visualization, is to sit in your safe place. And I put up photos of each individual family member, and I sat there and I really focused in on that person individually with memories and with good memories, with bad memories, and I. I really recognized with the emotions and there were memories that came back to me that I forgot I even had. And it was, it was beautiful, but I was trying more so to work out who was affecting me the most because they weren't physically here anymore. I couldn't go to their house. I couldn't be with their belongings. I only had an image. That's all I had left. There was nothing physical. It was just imagery. So when I got to my grandfather's photo and I, I really sat with that, the, the the grief really stemmed from him, not necessarily the 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 process of my mother's death or the loss of my mother. It was really with him because he was he died the day Matt was born. It was literally within minutes of birth and death, and I didn't have that time to grieve. And I only really just grieved him in the last couple of years. It's taken yeah nearly twenty years to come to terms with that level of grief. Did you? I mean, because they, they pass so, you know, there's one born, one pass so quickly. Do you have any beliefs about that? That, you know, so I, know, I know some people will be thinking, well, is her son yep. her grandfather? So I'm going to ask a question. Do you, is this something that's crossed your mind? What were your thoughts on that? Yep. Yep. Um, that's been brought up a few times. Uh, the, co- yeah. the too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence. The serendipity moments. There have been so many moments that I've just sat back and gone, this, you cannot write this stuff. This is ridiculous. Is there something far greater than, what, what am I learning from this? I, I would, if you'd asked me a year ago, would your husband go with you on a retreat for breath work, meditation, visualization and ice work? I would have said absolutely no way. No way will my husband ever do anything like that. When he saw what it's done for me, he's now invested in this and he's going on a retreat with me in May next year. And we've set goals. We now have an ice bath at home. We're having a sauna installed where he's really seen the change that's happened within me. And it's I feel very, very grateful that 
I've got somebody who's prepared to open their mind um, to this transformation without these events. I definitely believe there's something. <laughs> it just, it's ridiculous. We have a birth and a death in such incredible ways. My grandmother was, she had said to me specifically, do not put me in a home. And she had had a stroke and I happened to be with her on her first stroke. That was fine. She went to the hospital. We came home. She says, do not, whatever you do, put me in a home. She had another stroke. She went into the hospital. There was, she wasn't allowed to come home with us because we had steps in our house. And she had said to me, you put me in a home, I will die. Unfortunately, the, the state takes over the care for that person at that stage if you can't put her in a safe space at home. So she went into this lovely home. She was there for maybe a day and she had another stroke in the middle of the night. It was terminal. They, so we got her into the hospital. She was just in the, the last few moments of her life and I'd been at vigil on the side of her bed with my brother and my brother said, gosh, I'm tired. Should we go and get a coffee? And I turned and I said to my to my grandmother, I said, if you want privacy, we're about to give it to you. You can go if you feel free. And mm. she had that last few sort of moments of, of life while we were making a coffee. She died while we turned our backs and left the room. She was such a private woman and she, she lived in private and she died in private. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of things mm. that it does remind yeah. you that there's a lot more to this world than, than often meets the eye. And does your son ever show any characteristics like your grandfather or anything yes. that you yes. think do you know yes. what yep yep are you in there <laughs> yes absolutely 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 leonard cohen loves leonard cohen um there's just so, the physical characteristics so my my grandfather's a very tall very broad man massive chest our son's over six foot two um, so he's a very tall boy, very similar complexion, and also features in a way that's uncanny. You kind of do a double look every now and again and go, oh, gosh. And I, I called him my grumpy grampy. And <laughs> we were in a shop the other day, and he, without thinking about it, he brought this cologne, and he put the cologne on. It was the same cologne that my, my grandfather used to wear. So oh. there's little wee things that I think, oh, gosh, you're just such a took off the, the grandfather's block. I mean, it's amazing. And because uh, we're coming <laughs> towards the end of our interview now, so I wanted to quickly ask you about how you're seeing your future at the moment with everything that's been on with you. You know, uh, your mindset is, honestly, it's so inspiring. But how do you see your future right now? I don't, I know this sounds quite morbid. Um, I, I don't try and look back unless I need to learn from something. I don't try and look forward too far because I don't want to have unrealistic expectations. I see myself moving forward more so in the breathwork journey and definitely within that visualization, hypnosis and motivational side of things. I don't, I, I don't pin myself, this is exactly where I want to be at this particular age. I'm just happy being in here now. This is, this is now, okay. right now. Yeah. Not years from now yeah okay. i don't know so, so, i'm not yeah. i say to my specialist i just will do what i need to do but yeah okay. there's only so yeah, you sound much. very present um, with it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah you sound very present and with I, it yeah, yeah I, i'll get example i was late home from work the other day because i was watching a bird build a nest with a paper bag 
I was fascinated. With, I just found it beautiful to watch a bit of nature that everybody else was walking past, and he's built the nest in an area that's chest height on a specific tree that's facing away from the general public. I just sat there and watched him build a nest. I found great joy from being in that moment because I was watching somebody mm. at something that nobody else could see that was even right in front of them. And then to walk to work the following day and see a pot of whales offshore. Again, everybody else is walking past. They're looking on their cell phones. They're not paying attention. And there you have a couple of whales playing off on the foreshore there. Uh -huh. I'm just standing there going, hello, look at this. This is so beautiful. This is right now. This is right now. It's, yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's, yeah. it does sound beautiful. I want to say thank you so much for telling no, uh, me you. and listeners a story. Um, which, 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 quick, quick question. Which episode was it that drew you into the Mindset Change podcast? How did you find me? You know, I came across you. I When I looked back into sort of my podcast history, somebody had mentioned you on um, Mental Illness Happy Hour. And it was a, a lady that had been speaking and your name had come up a couple of times. So okay. it's, I, you're, I actually Googled you originally because I looked back okay. on my search and okay. there was a specific visualization and it was the door one as well that got me. It was oh. that door visualization that really, and your hypnosis history and everything, mm. you really resonated with my journey. You, you are doing what I've been working with for quite some time I admire oh, your skills really do thank you so much and I, I just I, honestly it's mm. been absolute pleasure when you emailed to say that you were a fan of the show and uh, I've been helping you but then you told me your story in this email and I was like right okay this is you know this is someone I'd love <laughs> to have listeners listen to and just get a sense of your mindset and what mm. you've done and what you're doing to you know you wouldn't have wanted to talk them. me three years ago it's big it's big kudos to you so um mm. you know thank you so much for for, for coming on to show and talking about your story and and also thank you for being a member of the whatsapp community you are uh, yeah, very you. engaging and <laughs> very helpful so thank you very much for that thank you no thank Welcome. you um, so thank you everyone to listening to this episode of the Mindset Change podcast. I hope you got a lot from Gina Rose's story and uh, there's so much to unpack there, so much to learn from. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much for uh, tuning in and spending your time and energy with us. And uh, I look forward to connecting with you in the very next episode. Mm -hmm.